0: Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on driving innovation, how to foster a culture of innovation within your team. In it, you'll discover how you can set a context for innovation, why culture matters, and how you can influence it, and what you can do to foster innovation within your current team. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com pod 314. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I've enjoyed getting to know today's guest. She's a distinguished teaching professor of marketing and professional selling at the Lindner College of Business at the University of Cincinnati, and she has won multiple awards and honors for excellence in teaching over the years. I find her field of study just absolutely fascinating. She has a PhD in marketing and sociology and wrote her dissertation on relationship selling and the effects of sex, gender, and family role on sales performance. So a field of study that um, I think that there's a lot of room for, for research and insight into. When we first connected, I actually realized I had seen and heard her before because she gave an excellent TEDx talk on how empowering women benefits everyone. She is based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to the show,
1: Dr. Jane Soika. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I'm thrilled to be here and I consider you a friend. So please call me Jane. Thank you so much, Jane.
0: I'm so glad you could be here. And I just shared the high level bullets of your resume, but that's not who you are. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe talk a little bit about the journey to where you are today.
1: Okay. Um, As you, as you mentioned, i did a dissertation on, on women in sales. And at the time, this was probably before you were born at the time, the, the sales strategy was relationship selling. And I said, you know what, you want sales reps who can build relationships. Maybe you ought to think about women because women do that naturally. So I did the dissertation. It went absolutely nowhere. I mean, nowhere, because at that time in business, and this was like in the 19, like around mid-1990s, equal meant the same. And so we could not say, oh, well, maybe women are really good at this and men might be good at this. Equal meant the same. And so I, I couldn't say, well, maybe women have a special skill set. So I just kind of laid sales aside, um, went on to my academic career and was, was teaching teaching students how to sell. And at my previous institution, was teaching a sales class, which you know that's mostly men with a few women. But we divided into small groups, and one of my small groups happened to be all women, and just coincidence or divine intervention, whichever you prefer. And um, we had so much fun, and we were laughing, and let our hair down, and this. And one of the women said, "You know, wouldn't it be cool if we had a sales class for women?" And I, at the time I thought, well, first of all, it's never going to happen. And, and wow, i never even thought about that. So buried that fast forward, came to the university of Cincinnati and I started our center for professional selling, which interfaces our sales minor with the business community who wants to Mm -hmm. recruit sales students and recruiters kept asking for women. Of course they want diversity. I could not get women to take a sales class. And I, I would, I, you know, come on, you know me, I'm a good teacher. Don't you want to take my class? My average sales class was 30 men and maybe three to five women mm. on a good day. I could not get women to take a sales class. So, and, and yet the three to five women who were there were very good. And I knew this, I knew this from my research. I knew this from coaching sales teams. Women are very good at selling but I could not get them to take a class. So I knew we had to do something different. Mm -hmm. So I applied and I received a $10,000 grant from Procter & Gamble. And I said, I want to teach a women in sales class. Women have a different style. And that's really about all I knew going into it. Women have a different style of selling. And I, I know they need confidence. I know they need resilience. I believe those are teachable skills let me have a chance. So I started this class with the help of the grant, 25 women and two men. And the two men are a great story. And I, we can talk about the men in the women in sales class, because that's a great story too, Elizabeth, if we want to go there. Um, I thought it would be a one-off and would die. It turned out it was highly popular and the class grew, word of mouth grew, the recruiters loved it. So that I counted up just before this, last academic semester or last academic year i had over 250 women enrolled wow. in the sales class so you know we're making inroads we're getting women into entry level positions now and and that's kind of what started me going down this road of empowering women and especially empowering women in sales
0: that is a great story, Jane, and um, I love how, you know, I can tell that you had that seed that, that came out, and I was definitely born in the 90s. Well, I was born <laughs> in the 80s, so I was I was alive and, and talking in the 90s, but um, it, I, I even remember as a child uh, and as a teen the idea of, um, you know, to embrace Equality and and opportunity for everybody and diversity means everybody's the same, and you can't talk about differences. Whether it's um, from from you know socioeconomic background, whether it's racial, whether it's um, you know country of origin or or gender or anything, to imply that people were different was, or to say that people were different was seen as saying one was better and one was worse. And um, I think people were trying. To be progressive, in saying no, everybody's the same, everything's the same. We can't, um, we can't talk about those differences. But that really did, you know, it removed the ability to recognize the unique. Perspective that people with different experiences can bring. Again, whether it's gender or or other differences. Um, so, I'd love to get into some of those differences that you recognized, either in your research um, or just in the classes that you led. What are some of the ways that women have different styles from
1: men? Well, and and before I do that, Elizabeth, I want to just you know uh, absolutely concur with what you what your your previous your previous statement I mean, mm-hmm. our differences are our strengths mm-hmm. and and in that time period when we tried to make everybody the same we lost our uniqueness and mm-hmm. you know women are unique and equal but we want the uniqueness because we want to bring that uniqueness to the table and what this class allowed me to do was figure out what those unique features are and allow women to be women. And, you know, that's, and that's the, um, that's the goal. So I would say a couple of things that I, that I learned and it's, it's, it's an ongoing learning process. Okay. Mm. One of my favorite quotations, Elizabeth Lesser, you teach that which you need to learn. So I am learning from my students all the time. Probably the first thing I, I had to teach women and I knew this, um, was confidence, resilience, and overcoming fear of failure. I I knew and we knew from our research there is an inverse relationship between confidence and competence mm. and that one it just and like I, I the first time we got this and and we found gender differences in that the, my women tended to be competent the most competent but they lacked confidence and the women, and the men very confident could improve on the competence piece and when we first got those results, I made the TA run it, again. guess. And no, this can't be right. No, you know, it can't be right. So I made them <laughs> run it three times. And finally, they, they came back said, Dr. So these are the results. Get over it. You know, um, But, you know, so I, so I, I realized, okay, I've got to do two different things in the classroom, but women are competent, but they lack confidence. So I had to learn how to teach confidence. And to do that, it's a series of small wins. And I don't know that um, men really appreciate that yet. So that was, that was one. And building up to that, the first thing I had to teach, and this is the way I start every class, every semester, was resilience. And what we know, resilience is the ability to bounce back quickly after failure. Mm-hmm. And we know, I documented it, I replicated it in, in my research, and research has replicated it many times for whatever reason, and we could, you know, that that's not what I want to go into, but whether it's societal, culture, education, religion, families, men tend to have higher levels of resilience than women. They bounce back qu- more quickly after failure, okay? Well, if you're in sales, you'd better be resilient because you're going to be told <laughs> no. So I developed a, an exercise and literally the first two weeks of, of class I tell students, okay, we're going to practice failing because mm-hmm. I want you to get over failing quickly because you're going to be told no. What happens when the customer tells you no? Absolutely nothing. Great. You move on. So they literally practice failing. And when I say failing, I'm, I'm using a big umbrella term. I got a B plus instead of an A.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I wanted to run five miles today. I only ran four miles today. My, my personal favorite is I ate the entire roll of Girl Scout thin mint cookies, and I was only going to eat two. And yeah, you're exactly right. And all the women in the class laugh, and the men are like, huh? I don't get it. But the women know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. So the students have to talk about their their failure. And I also would like to point out, in in many cases, it's not someone telling us we failed. Uh-huh. Like the B plus is. Okay, that's the evaluation. It's us. Setting, you know, saying, oh, I failed. I only ran four miles instead of five miles. Well, excuse me, four miles is still pretty good. Or I ate the the, the entire roll. Yeah, but you know what, Jane? You're not going to eat that. You're not going to do that every day the rest of your life. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So we we put pressure on ourselves. So they have to identify where they failed. And then I have eight strategies to practice, to get over failure quickly. Um, One is, for example, failure is an event, not a person. Mm -hmm. You know what? I only did four miles, but you know what? I am still kind. I am still compassionate. I am a good teacher. I am a good mother. I take good care of my pets. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And you move on. And then they have to identify did it work? You know, did you get over the failure quickly? One of the things we know from women is when we fail, we tend to number one, ruminate, which means we play it back over and over and over again, which mm-hmm. does not help. And we, we blame ourselves. We, we beat ourselves up. So I'm trying to get women out of that pattern and into resilience where, yeah, okay, so I ate the whole roll. You know what? I'm going to go back to my diet tomorrow and move on. Mm-hmm. When I started this assignment, I thought it would take eight practice because think about it. you don't You don't learn something by doing it once, right? You do it mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So I originally assigned eight failure papers. I only needed five. Mm-hmm. at 5 they knew what to do and so um by the end of the class you know we get to sales role plays and well what if the customer tells you no not a problem i move on yes exactly so that was just one example of resilience i had to teach resilience um and it's interesting by the end of class we did pretest and post test we closed the gender gap in resilience my oh, winner, wow Yeah. My women are as resilient as my men. And, and, and the good thing is men come in resilient and they keep stay resilient. And that's exactly right. I don't want to mess with that. Um, the second thing I had to teach women was overcome their fear of failure. Mm -hmm. Once again, um, this is Sheryl Sandberg's lean in and I'm a, a classic example of this. Women are so afraid of failing. Our tendency is to pull ourselves out of the ball game. Mm -hmm. rather than take a chance of being told no. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And in my my TED Talk, I talk about how I almost pulled myself out. I went to my my department head when I was on a tenure track position and said, you know, I don't think I'm going to do this tenure track thing anymore because I was so afraid I might not get tenure. I think I'll just teach part-time. And to his credit, he said, no, Jane, you've got the teaching. You've got the research you've got the service. Stay with us. You can do this. And I did. I got tenure. Um, but, but women are so afraid. You, you know, We we don't got to get over that fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And so the resilience is what's the worst that can happen? Well, they say no. What's the worst when you apply for the job? You don't get it. Well, what happens? You apply for another one. You're exactly right. And once again, um, the research showed at the end of the class, we statistically lowered Women's fear of failure. And that's really important because they take a risk. They're not afraid to ask for a close. And then um, probably fourth thing was communication.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the words, my students, they they always remember this from class. One of the words my students are never allowed to say is sorry. Mm-hmm. Research shows, and you know you you live this every day, okay? Think about mm-hmm. it. When you run into somebody, in a crowded hallway, right? You bump into, what do you say? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, think about that. And I'm all for being polite and respectful, but it's a crowded hallway. It was not malicious. You have as much right to have, take up space as that person. Women tend to apologize for things that are not our fault. Mm -hmm. And so to get them out of that habit, we practice going from, I'm sorry, to excuse me, which was the next step because I'm I'm, I'm polite, always be polite, always be respectful Mm -hmm. to smile, which was tough under the mask, but smile (laughs) and say, no problem. Because in fact, it is no problem. You have a right to take up space. I have a right to take up space. We happen to hit each other. It's no problem. So I work on communication, powerful communication, strong communication. And then probably the last thing, Um, that I really emphasize is negotiation. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't even like to term, when I I do workshops for women, I don't even like to use the term negotiation because the stereotype that comes to my mind is not positive. It's Mm -hmm. pushy and win at all costs. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want my students to be like that. I know. So I reframe it to ask for what you want. Now, I'm not saying you're always going to get what you want. And that's where resilience comes in. You know, what's the worst that can happen? They say, no, no problem. You ask again or you keep moving. But women need practice asking for what they want. And so those are, those are some of the skills that that come up in the course of teaching women how to sell and how to sell successfully. I I love all of those examples that you shared,
0: because certainly as somebody who's worked with sales teams now for almost 15 years, um, Hmm. I can 100% um, validate that these are the these are key competencies in sales, but they're also key life skills. And, you know, I I don't know anybody who couldn't stand to improve their resilience or their confidence or be a stronger, more effective, more clear communicator, or be able to be clear in negotiation and polite and appropriate and state what they want. And so these are, you know, sales skills, but they're life skills.
1: I, I could not agree more. And, um, I, I consider sales a life skill. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, every every person should should have uh, should have a sales class. And at the beginning of class, I, I made this mistake once. I asked, "Oh, how many of you are interested in a sales career?" And you could see the students slide underneath the table. You know, no, no, no. <laughs> we don't. I said, "Well, on the other hand, how many of you want a job?" And and what's the most important sale? you're going to make at the end of four years of college. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's absolutely sales is a life skill. And, and the other thing, building on your, your point, Elizabeth, not only do women need these skills after I'd been teaching the class for women for probably two or three years, I, um, on a very practical note, I wanted to make my teaching, um, a little bit easier and just, just less, less, um, time consuming. For on my end, and so I said, you know, I think men could use these skills too. So Mm -hmm. I decided to take the same skill set I was teaching women and carry it over into my professional selling class, which was predominantly men okay, Mm -hmm. few women, predominantly men. And I was shocked because it turns out men need these skills too, they're not as vocal about needing them. The women will say, Oh, this is exactly what I needed. The men will. Come to my office, shut the door so that nobody hears them and say, you changed my life. Um, But, you know, these are skills human need, you know, humans need. So it's all good. It's all good stuff. Absolutely.
0: Um, It's funny, because I've spoken to so many people in sales. And um, just the idea of studying sales in college is a it's a relatively new phenomenon. And it is such a foundational thing where you could aspire to just about any career and taking a sales class could be highly beneficial. Because like you said, you're selling yourself every day. If you are in operations. You're selling your ideas, your prop your proposed, you know, projects, and and even a proposed vendor that you want to work with. That's that's very related to sales. And so these are these are core life skills, as you said. Um, something that I'm really interested in is obviously you're doing research in the university setting and the educational setting. Um, but you know women stay women when they get into the workforce. So um, I know you've done, you've done research as well into how women um, may receive coaching in a different way. What are some of the things that you've noticed there? Um,
1: in terms of coaching, that is not my area. Okay. And so I, I work with colleagues who, who work with coaching. I spend more time and I've got my hands full, quite honestly, helping women find their voice as women, mm. because bless their hearts. I love men. And, and I want to make that perfectly clear. I love men. And I, you know, I absolutely, I support men too. I want everyone to win. But what tends to happen in a, in male dominated areas, such as sales, and certainly this is the way it worked when I came up in business men and good men, I had, I had good men trying to, you know, helping me and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them, but bless their hearts. The only way they know how to coach is what works for them Mm -hmm. and, and, and it works for them. So they were teaching me to be like them and Mm -hmm. some of it was okay, but a lot of it was no, this just, this doesn't fit me. And it takes a lot of energy to try to be something you're not. So what I try to do when I work with women in corporate settings is to bring them back to their own voice, unique and equal. And yeah, it's okay to be like this. You can be strong and kind. You can be powerful and compassionate. They are not mutually exclusive. And that's a real relief to women because that's what that's what we like to do. So the the coaching the coaching itself, when you coach women, you want to coach women differently than men. Um, and I'd be ha- I'd be happy to talk on that. If you'd like, I'd like to hear some of, some of the differences. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let me let my favorite, here's my favorite one. I think you and I talked about this earlier and we both had a laugh on it. If I hear a man coach, a woman, woman to say, fake it till you make it. <laughs> I, 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 it's just like, I I just go beside myself. Now, once again, if that works for you, go with it. I don't want to change it. And it must work for men because they they say it all the time. That's fine. I'm not going to change that. However, for women, what that leads to is the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to fake it till I may. I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm, I'm like, even as we're talking about, Elizabeth, my stomach is a knots. That's not what I do. I Mm -hmm. over-prepare, okay, And, and- I'm working with some women and men in a group now on over-prepare, okay? Realize that women are going to over-prepare probably more than what we have to, okay? That's that perfectionism leaning. Men might under-prepare. So I'm going to over-prepare to make sure I, I can do that. But the way to build confidence in women is a series of small wins. We have to have the experience that, oh, yeah, I did this. Okay, raise the bar. Oh, okay. Now I can do this, um, you know. As well as, as any parent knows, as any teacher knows, I would see my women and I would tell them, "You're good. You can do this. You're good." And it would go in one ear and out the other, till I started setting up small experiences. So, to give you an example, and you, you'll laugh. But I, at the beginning of class, I tell students. I'm going to teach you how to talk to a stranger without alcohol. And they, and they all laugh. Okay. And they all laugh. Now keep in mind, this is a generation who was taught not to talk to strangers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they learned that lesson. They don't know how to start. and, And you add texting and email and social media and the thought of face to face with a stranger. sound is, is terrifying. So what we do, is we start off really easy. Okay, you're going to talk to the woman across the room. And te- keep in mind, I teach at a large a large school. So most of them don't know anyone when they come into class. You're going to talk to the woman across the room. Five minutes, find something in, in common. That Okay, come back. Did anybody die? No, nobody died. What, a, what do you know? Okay, now you're going to go to a um, sales career fair and you're going to talk to recruiters. And they're all scared to death. We practice how you open a conversation. Little do they know, and this is kind of like swim lessons where you're swimming across the deep end and you think you could drown. Little do you know, there are lifeguards everywhere. You're not, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you drown. These are sales recruiters. They will talk to a wall, okay? (laughs) But the students don't know that and you're going to go there. Well, what do you know? You talked to five strangers, had good conversations, you even got a job offer. Okay, now, when you're in Starbucks, I want you to talk to five people in line while you're waiting in Starbucks. And they do it. That, was their, that happened to be a final exam um, question um, last, last semester. And and, it's, it, and like now it's, I can send you in any room and you can talk to a stranger, but it's a series of small wins how you build confidence. They're, they're, women are not going to fake it till you make it. And I think that's a, that's a really good, example of what not to say to women.
0: Absolutely. I've definitely gotten that coaching myself. And it just it doesn't work. Uh-uh. So it's, you know, you you can see how people like you said, people are trying to be helpful. And, um, you know, maybe sharing examples of what worked for them. One of the, the best stories I've ever heard um, from my boss, Charles, who's our who's our founder and CEO is when he first got into a leadership role. He had been a top performing salesperson and then he was expected to coach people. And he had somebody on his team quit. And they did an exit interview and he asked why they quit. And they said, you're trying to make me a little Charles and I'm not you. And that was uh, a big learning experience for him. And I think it's a learning experience for a lot of first-time managers that the way you did things isn't the way everybody else is going to succeed in doing things. Um, But the difference between, you know, genders and the difference between groups of any sort is going to impact that as well. And so if you just think, well, I did it this way, so therefore everybody can do it this way and everybody is going to be successful the same way. It's, it's just not. And that's part of that is just that people are different, but having these, um, like you said, we, we we don't know the reason behind all of this, but it's probably a kind of all of the above sort of a sort of a thing. There's there's the way people are treated. There's potentially maybe there's biological differences. We don't know. But when we when you have a society that is producing women who have these differences, um, just to recognize them. And I love that you mentioned that the uniqueness and the differences are strengths. That doesn't mean they're better or worse. It's It's equal. But there are things that men are better at typically than women and there are things that women are better at typically than men and altogether you know that's they're better than the
1: than individually if you've got both of those sets of strengths
0: on your team. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I I tend to think of diversity and inclusion like parts of the body. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want my ears trying to see. Number one, <laughs> my eyes do a good job seeing and they do it really well. I need my ears to provide different input. I need to, my ears to, to be really good at hearing, and then I can stand on a train track facing one direction where my eyes are saying, nope, no train, and my ears are saying, I hear a train whistle, better get off the tracks, and then make a good decision. And so to your point, one of the things that I think it's important to teach women, and I do a lot of talks on the topic, is is negotiation, which is really ask for what you ask for what you want. And I think this has been a real struggle with getting women to speak up, not just to their bosses, but in boardrooms and in meetings. And it's one of the things, another thing that I really emphasize in my class, because you want to know what women are thinking. You want to know what they want as an employee, because if not, they're going to do what happened Um, with charles and that is they're going to leave well Mm -hmm. now you've got to hire another person you want them speaking up and not afraid to ask for what they want and if they're resilient it doesn't mean you know you may be able to do it you may not be able to do it but better to know what they're thinking and what they want as an employer than to have them leave leave quietly. So I, I'm, I'm a big one for teaching women how to speak up. And we practice that in class all the time.
0: Absolutely. that um, It's such a powerful thing. And I, I love that you are, you're focusing a bit on negotiation, because something that I've seen change, you know, I graduated um, from college in 2004. And so I've been in the professional workforce for um, a while now. And I never negotiated my salary. When I was starting a job, that wasn't something that I viewed as a thing that I could do, um, and I may have been a bit behind the times. But I, I don't think probably a lot of my peers were necessarily comfortable negotiating salary. And something that's been really encouraging to me is that I've seen that change. And the last few younger women that I've hired have all negotiated salary, and I've actually seen it as you know when when we hire an intern. Um, at, at maybe a fixed hourly rate, and then we extend them an offer for full time work. They've been working on the team for a while, and um, they've seen other women on the team. And to me, it's it's been really encouraging to see even them knowing the business and knowing the company and knowing their role, still feeling the confidence to negotiate a salary. And I really think if that's something that um, you know, as a leader, you aren't seeing in women candidates. Um, I, you know there might be something that it's indicating about the culture that's perceived in your organization because um, it's such an important aspect and you know if you don't negotiate your initial salary you can get really far behind yeah. <laughs> over just a few <laughs> years um and not even have anything to do with it
1: a- absolutely i i i could not agree more in terms of the negotiation and yes i mean i my students are expected to negotiate their 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 first salaries, but I think it's it's also really important. And, and I love the way you're talking about the the corporate organization. You want women who negotiate and who ask for what they want because number one, it shows you they'll if they are doing that for themselves, they'll also do it for your organization. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to point out, and I love this about women. This is, this is, this is one thing I would never change. What we know is that women tend to negotiate on behalf of other people better than themselves. Mm. And I see this all the time. My, my supervisor who's a a woman goes to bat for me all the time and her, all of her employees all the time. Sometimes she sells herself short, which frustrates Mm -hmm. me. And, um, I know that we had a family tragedy and I was the one that was responsible for making sure my sister and her children would not worry about money. And so I was the one doing the negotiation. And more than once I came home and told my husband, if this were me, I would just take it and be done with it. But it's for my sister. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And so I really liked that about women. And so there would be two ways to approach this information. One is, okay, women, stop caring about so much for other people and worry about yourself. That's one. I don't like that. I don't buy that. We naturally take care of other people. And so if you can tell women, here's what you can do. Think about who you're gonna help when you get that better salary or think about how much more time you're gonna be able to spend with your family and still do a good job if you're able to work remotely. Um, so it's always that that's a good motivator for women is think of the people that you will help and I don't want to change that I think that's a good example of um, how women approach negotiation different different than men but I agree with you I'm glad to see more and more women negotiating and just getting practice that's good absolutely and um, I,
0: I love that that distinction that you pulled out because I've also seen that happen and even with you know having um, having one, junior woman on the team who has somebody else reporting to her and advocating for a raise for that person mm-hmm. and being significantly more confident doing that than advocating a raise for herself. Um, and it's a it's a unique thing. And like you said, you don't want to get rid of that because that's a really powerful um, way of of lifting everyone.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely
0: all right um one thing that that we've maybe touched on a bit but I'd like to to spend some time on if if it's something you'd like to discuss is retention um, I know as I've been following the news over the the months of covid and and everything it seems like the the recession is significantly impacting women more oh. than men you're seeing that the job losses might have been split by gender and pretty you know, Maybe not evenly distributed, but but reasonably so. Um, but the retained unemployment seems like it's mostly with women, and a lot of men have been able to get back to work, and women haven't. And I know there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, many outside the ability of leaders and managers to to impact. But mm-hmm. um, in general, have you noticed that there are best practices for leaders in improving retention of women on their teams because? You, you could hire 50 yeah. 50. But if all the women end up having to leave, you're going to end up with uh, a really unbalanced team.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you've hit a major issue. In fact, we've made really, really some good strides in terms of getting women in entry level positions. And mm-hmm. sales is a good example. Finance, I believe I read 60% of bank tellers, okay, entry level are, are women. The problem is we're not getting to the Mm C-suite in, in, in those. And I think, I think part of it is self-limiting behaviors. Okay. So I, I look, I deal primarily with what can the individual do? you know, I've, I've given up trying to change society. I shouldn't say I've given up, but you know, it's hard to change society and it's hard to change a big, huge corporation, quite honestly. I mean, it really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging venture. Um, Mm -hmm. There are women like Teresa Tanner who are addressing those issues. So I, but I tend to work at the individual level. So some things that I see women, and I call these self-limiting behaviors that I think women they they limit they limit themselves, and I think if managers are aware, they can be sensitive to this and and kind of nip it in the bud. Perfectionism is one because mm-hmm. if I love the statistic, I think it was Hewlett Packard. Um, they asked how how what percentage of criteria do you have to have before you will apply for a job? Okay, mm-hmm. and HR people get this one all right all the time, but men sixty percent. Okay, so a little over half and I'll apply for the job. Women, a hundred (laughs) percent. That's the perfectionism. Okay. Perfect. The problem with perfectionism, if you wait to be perfect, you never do anything. Absolutely. And so once a manager knows that you've, so you, you're, you're a manager and you've got an opening and you want to hire from within know that you've got some people who are semi-qualified that are going to put their hats in the ring, but you very well likely may have a woman with 80% of the qualifications, but because she thinks she has to be perfect, once again, self-limiting behaviors, she's not going to apply. So what you need to do, and if you're aware of that, you can do something about it. What we have learned from politics and you know anybody who runs for a public office put the politics aside um, has my respect because when you lose it's front page news mm-hmm. uh, and I think that takes a lot of courage. Absolutely. So what what we have learned from politics a woman has to be asked three times before mm-hmm. she will run. So as the manager you need to encourage her. Say you know have you have you thought about applying for this job? I think you'd be good. Why don't you? send in an application. Now we can argue, well, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. Once again, I'm, I don't deal with causality. I fix the problem.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Inviter and get two other people to say, you know, have you ever thought about applying? You should Mm -hmm. put in an application. What's the worst that can happen? You know, they say no. And in fact, um, a couple of years ago, there was an associate Dean's position open at, at my school. And I never gave it a second thought. I had three people, three women, say, you know, Jane, you've got some ideas. Why don't why don't you apply? Now, hindsight, I didn't get it, and hindsight twenty twenty, thank goodness. I would not have been a good fit, okay? But I was proud of myself for applying. Mm -hmm. And I would not have applied unless I was encouraged to do so. So I think I think that is a big one. I think another issue that Holds women back, um, and, and and burnout, burnout, and leaving the workforce is control. Okay, mm-hmm. women, uh, and I see this more in women than men. But I, I, the same thing with perfectionism. It's it's attributed more to women, but honestly, I see a lot of it in men too. Control, like if it's got to be done right, I have to do it, mm. and that's a killer in industry. You're going to die. You can't. You know. You're going to burn out you have to learn how to delegate and you have to practice delegating and you have to realize it's not going to be done the way you necessarily wanted it done to your previous point. Okay. But there are other ways to do it. And as long as you get to the end point, it's all good. And so that women have a hard time releasing control. And I know, um, first time I had allowed, teaching assistants to help me grade papers. I was like, ah, hyperventilating. I don't know if you could do this. Is it going to have the same effect? And of course they did a great job and it, and it did, but it reiterated to me the power of delegation, because if you don't learn to delegate, which means less control, you're going to, you're going to burn out. And I think those contribute to retaining women. And the other one, I cannot stress this enough is if, if a woman is, is less resilient, like, gee, I would like to ask, and this is where I get brought into companies to teach women how to negotiate, um, would like, can I, can I work remotely two days a week? Cause that would just make my work life balance so much easier. But if she's afraid to ask because she might be told, no, that's resilience and fear of failure, both teachable skills. What's likely to happen is she's going to say. You know what? I'm going to stay home and take care of the kids, and that's mm-hmm. true. But underneath that is because it's not worth fighting the battle,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that's where you're losing women. And you need to encourage and teach women how to speak up.
0: Absolutely, that's a that's a really great example because I have seen so often that um, that in a professional. Environment, You know, we're not talking here, unfortunately, about all the women in, in you know service jobs and in other jobs right. where there just isn't that flexibility. But in the professional environment, um, the number of times I've seen people, uh, women or men, ask for something that other people wouldn't have even thought of and get it. Is, is always surprising. And one yes. example is that you often see that people who work in HR, because they know all of the things that are allowed, they they take advantage of them. And that's not like, I, I don't even like the word take advantage, because that, that sounds bad, but they, they, they use them because they're available. And um, just asking your boss, if you could work from home, sometimes if you could do something a little bit different, one, one, you know, silver lining, I suppose, to COVID has been how many yes. managers are now aware of the fact that people do work when they're working from home and that you're not just going to have people slacking off and watching TV and, and surfing the internet all day. And so to be able to make that request of your boss, it's a perfectly valid request. And again, to to what you've said a few times, what's the worst they could say? They're not going to fire you. They could just say, no, that doesn't work for us. Okay. <laughs> You know, then you, you know, can decide if you if you can't be there because you really, really need that. Um, that's one thing. But uh, you, you, you don't even have a possible option if you never ask.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I just stress this over and over again. You have to ask for what you want. I'm not saying you're always going to get it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a different conversation. But um, I had another assignment where students had to get rejected five times because I wanted them used to getting told no and not dying. And so I'd say, like, go to you know go to Panera and ask for your dinner for free. I guarantee you they're going to say no and just then give them the credit card. But like retail, say, oh, I really like this, but it's a little pricey. Do you have any coupons? You know, or um, gosh, could I could I get broccoli instead of French fries without an upcharge? Just ask, and the students always come back. Amazed at what they get, mm-hmm. and it's like I never thought. Like, well, absolutely, you never know what you're going to get if you don't ask. And um, I, I'm a basketball fan. It's like watching basketball. I'm not saying you're going to score every time you shoot the ball because you're not. But I can guarantee you, if you don't take the shot, you are not going to score. You've got to. You've got to ask, and that's a really important. That's a teachable skill women can learn it with practice. Everything takes practice like anything else. It takes practice. And that really, um, it's a good position to be. It's a win-win. That's when organizations get perspectives from different points of view. And that's a, that's a win-win. That's a powerful organization. makes for a powerful organization.
0: Absolutely, and I, I love that you've you've shared examples of behaviors that leaders can do, as well as behaviors of what women can do. And um, like you said, the only thing you can control is yourself, and so. Um, it, 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 you know, any women who are listening, thinking about um, these skills, these behaviors, um, any self-limiting behaviors they might have and and changing them. But then obviously any men who are listening or any women who are in leadership positions, thinking about creating space for this growth and um, letting people know what's possible for them. And uh, a lot of times people do step up into opportunities once you make it really clear that the opportunity exists. So really good mix of advice. Absolutely. All right. Um, I know there's probably ten thousand things we could continue talking about, but looking at the clock, I'm like, oh, we, we're yep. we're just about yep. at time. So, um, Jean, do you have any resources that you would recommend for our listeners? It could be on
1: this topic that we're discussing, or um, or separate from it. Okay. Um, you, you can imagine I'm I'm a reader and a reader and a podcast listener. My one of my favorite books, um, and actually, she, she came to my class virtually last semester. And my students were so excited. Fran Hauser. I like Fran Hauser. She wrote the the book, The Myth of the Nice Girl. And she, Mm -hmm. C-suite material. I like her because she kept getting asked the question, well, how can you be in the C-suite and be so nice? And Mm -hmm. her response is, why would you not be nice? Why, you know, why be anything else? And that resonates really well with me and with with women, um, there's there's kind of two schools of thought, and there's the badass school of thought. And if that works for you and that's your style, go for it. It does not work for me. I I, I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate, and I can still be strong, and I can still be powerful. And that's Fran Hauser. So her book is the Myth of the Nice Girl. She's got a new book coming out that I'm anxiously awaiting. So I really like Fran Hauser. Um, abby wombach what you mm-hmm. know abby wombach Wolfpack, and i think it's a quick read but really makes you think you know makes you think old rules and and new rules and I, I i really like that one um there's some women if you want to talk about women in operating in men's environments which is face it sales and other ones Lori richardson um does a really nice podcast called Conversations with Women in Sales. Mm. And it's a really good way to pick up women's points of view. And the thing I like about all of these, you know, Fran Hauser, Lori Richardson, um, Teresa Tanner, Alex Moudoir, is that we see men as allies. I mean, one of the coolest things I've learned in this space is there's a lot of good men out there and a lot of good men who want to help. We, women, have not done a good job telling them how they can help us. Mm. And just as I have made mistakes trying to help the African-American community because I really don't understand the culture, men with good intentions have made mistakes trying to help women because they don't understand the culture. These resources and all of these women are helping Men understand. So it's it's a it's a really these are really great resources for women and for men who want to ally with women. Um, so Lori Richardson, Alex Mudawar has a clubhouse. Don't ask me how to do it because we've already talked about <laughs> my technological limitations, but it's a place and where once again, just like my women in sales classes, men are welcome. It's predominantly women, but men are welcome. And they discuss Issues that are pertinent to women in sales. So you really get um, camaraderie and, and a woman's perspective. Last but not least, Teresa Tanner from Reserve Squad does work at the organizational level. I tend to work more at the individual level. She goes at the organizational level and is making some really good inroads in helping companies retain women. Um, so I think there's a lot of exciting stuff going on right now, partnering with men, um, good stuff happening. Elizabeth. Absolutely. That's, that's really great to hear.
0: I love those examples. I'm thinking of, um, it just popped into my head. My, uh, my boss, Charles there, he joined the financial women's association here in New York, and he ended up on, um, not just on the membership committee, which is, you know, uh, recruiting women to join the Financial Women's Association, but they actually formed a men's committee. And the Uh purpose of the men's committee was to work with the women and find out how men could effectively support them. And it was so fun to see um, the ideas that came out and the growth that came out, but that idea of listening to the communities that you're trying to help and not just jumping in and assuming you know what's best um, is, I think, really good advice for all of us, whatever community it might be, um, making yes. sure that, that we're being um,
1: gracious and um, not, not assuming. Ab- absolutely, uh, absolutely. And one of, the, one, re- one of the requests for a talk, I've not done the talk yet, but I can just see I'm gonna have to get it ready, is men will frequently ask, well, what can I do? And there's there there are things you can do, and I think that's really important, and I love seeing men ally with with women. It's exciting, absolutely
0: all right. Um, I have really enjoyed our conversation today, Jane. It's been so much fun. If you want people to learn more about you and more about your work, where should they go?
1: um probably the best way to find me is LinkedIn. I think that's where you found me mm-hmm. and um make a make a connection there and we can carry it on um on 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 from there i'm working on getting a a blog up and running and more visibility but right now linkedin is the best way to to find me
0: all right i have so enjoyed our conversation thank you so much for being here today dr jane Soika.
1: thank you elizabeth it was my pleasure have a great day you as well and thank you to all of
0: our listeners for tuning into today's show you can find the notes and resources for everything that jane and i have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three one four. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that so you get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, or email us with direct feedback questions and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook, and don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights.
2: Let's talk sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!